Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Uh, I first became aware of Jenny Mignot because of Barry Westholm. Barry sent me an email. It's about a week and a half ago, eh? Barry, you sent me an email. Yeah, about that, yeah. Yeah, and uh, just touching base again, and then you said you need to you need to find out about you need to hear about Jenny Mignot. They sent me a link to the uh, to her blog, which is ptsd-sspt.weebly.com. I'll tell you again, it's also on my I just put it on my Twitter account at the Roy Green Show. ptsd-sspt.weebly.com. So we're going to find out more about the blog and more about Jenny's message, but we also, and importantly here, have to bring in Sergeant Major Barry Westholm, warrant officer. Uh, those are those are ranks that are accomplished and achieved through hard work, dedication, and caring about the military. And they are ranks that are respected. You can be a lieutenant or a lieutenant, whichever. You can be a lieutenant, you can be a colonel, you can be a general. I'm going to tell you something. You don't get the respect. You don't get the respect a sergeant major and a warrant officer get because the troops work with the sergeant major, they work with the warrant officer, and you, Barry, are on this program because you care so much about these troops, and you have PTSD, and you went, and you were part of that um, that unit in eastern Ontario. Uh, share with us, please, just remind us why you're here today. Uh, absolutely, and you're, you're right on the money, too, uh, Roy, when it comes to the relationship between officers and uh, warrant officers. They were actually put in place many, many, many years ago, I think around Napoleon's time, uh, to advise officers on the best way ahead when it comes to things on the battlefield where they might have more experience and this also one of the different areas of, of the profession of arms. So uh, uh, the position of a warrant officer is, is well known and normally well respected. And if, a, if an officer decides to uh, not take the advice of his sergeant major or his warrant officers or senior NCOs and goes alone, he does so at his own peril. And he'll be alone. <laughs> uh, yes, he'll be alone. Because if there's a choice to follow the officer or follow the, uh, the, uh, the sergeant major, I know where the troops are going. <laughs> That, that happens quite a bit. I, I, quite a bit. When, when you have an officer that strays too far from that uh, yeah. that, that way of thinking. But, but when it comes to uh, myself, yes, I, I had a PTSD uh, um, incident, and I went through a, um, quite a long time, I'll call it a wilderness, uh, without the support that I really could have used. And uh, it was uh, much too long, and it caused much too much damage uh, to me in my life and, and uh, the things that uh, you know, I really held dear to me. Uh, so as, as time went on in the military, uh, I came more and more conscious of the effects of PTSD and the importance to, to nip it in the bud if any of the, uh, the people that I was involved with had it or had signs of it. And in 2009, a unit was being stood up, the Joint Personnel Support Unit, which was assigned to deal with PTSD, uh, among other things uh, that injured and ill members had to do or uh, put up with. And this was unique in the Canadian Forces history, and I thought that's the unit I want to be with. So in 2009, I left my, um, my normal trade, the Royal Canadian Electrical Mechanical Engineers, uh, a trade I loved, and uh, joined the Joint Personnel Support Unit as its first sergeant major in eastern Ontario region. Uh, it had great beginnings, and it had, and still remains, uh, a great infrastructure for ill and injured people. There's no doubt about it. Its reach didn't stop at the door of the military. It extended to veterans, and it extended to the families of veterans and serving military people. So... When a family had to deal with something like PTSD, they could go to a military unit and get the support they needed to make it through. As a family. 
For the family, yes, because everybody's together in this. So Jenny and her husband could have gone to the JPSU in, in their region of Canada and by theoretically gotten the help that they required. Theoretically, that was the mandate of the Joint Personnel Support Unit, absolutely, without, uh, without question. The problem was around 2010, uh, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with the sergeant's major, we, we began to realize right across Canada that we were being overwhelmed with the number of uh, ill and injured that were coming in our door to the point where we couldn't uh, take care of them. We call it situational awareness. We, we couldn't keep track of everybody that we had. Uh, a recent article came up in the um, Ottawa Citizen, Citizen where there was a 167% increase of supported personnel. But for me, it's more like 250%, but only a 23% increase in staff. Now, just based on those numbers alone, you can see what, the, what we had to deal with. And when you say that, you know, 167 to 250% of people, then attack on all their families. There's, there's no way a 23% increase in staff can properly look after those people. And that was the point that the sergeants majors, not just myself, and the Joint Personnel Support Unit tried so hard to make. And uh, some of these uh, men and women I got the greatest amount of respect for in time. They've, they gave it their all and they were really hurt by not being able to provide for their soldiers. But anyway, that's sort of the theme that happened from 2010 to 2013 with the JPSU. More and more people, more and more advice uh, to the higher command level that we needed uh, increases in infrastructure, uh, complete denials of that uh, increase, and then more and more damage to the people that we were supposed to be supporting. So they flat out said no. No, actually, they were, they were told, uh, we were told not to ask anymore. Oh, same thing, right? Uh, actually, worse than the same thing. Uh, when you start muzzling reality yeah. at the senior level like that, yeah. that is, um, that's disaster. So you can't do your job to take care of your troops. The troops aren't taking, being care of because the JPSU can't do what it's supposed to do and mandated to do because it doesn't have the staff, it doesn't have the money that's required, and you're told to back off and don't bring it up anymore. Don't bring it up, and at the same time, they ask for more people to be posted into us who are gravely ill and injured. And so you've got the gravely ill and injured. You've got some of them coming back from Afghanistan who require the help immediately, and the help isn't there because the unit can't do it, and they're not going to they're not going to give the funding or put the personnel into the unit. Barry, hold on. Jenny, hold on. We'll come back and we'll talk some more. By the way, if you're a, if you're a member of the forces, former member of the forces, PTSD is part of your equation. You can call in. At one triple eight two two five eight two five five one triple eight two two five eight two five five. If what you're hearing sounds familiar, you want to add your story. One triple eight two two five eight two five five. We'll come right back. Former regional master warrant officer and sergeant major of the Joint Personnel Support Unit, Eastern Ontario, Barry Westholm, also a former member of the Canadian Airborne Regiment, right? That's correct. You jumped out of planes. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah, I know. I get that a lot. It's a great time. That. Great regiment. Thank you for your service, Barry. And thank you to the service for to, uh, to Jenny's husband and to all the men and the women of the military and their families because they serve too. Jenny, and Jenny's blog is, uh, I've got it right here. It's ptsd-sspt.weebly, W-E-B-E-E-B-L-Y, W-E-E-B-L-Y, Com. So, psd-sspt.weebly.com. Have a look. You need to, even if you haven't got a, an immediate family relationship with the military, we just came through Remembrance Day. 
We've just been told that at least 54 members of our military who served in Afghanistan committed suicide. And you're just hearing Barry Westholm say that not only he, but other sergeants major uh, to JPSU units were running into the same situation he was. The soldiers, the troops, the members of the military who required the help for the PTSD, and their families and they were supposed to get it, they weren't getting it. And when Barry went and asked for help, the senior officer said, stop coming back for help and stop asking. Jenny, uh, you've been listening to what Barry said. What was yeah. your experience as far as that's concerned? And, and how does it impact on a, on a family at home, back in your fortress? And you said you wanted to bring Christmas into, into, the, into the discussion, the very emotional time of year. Just explain to us, please, what, uh, how this all works, worked for you or didn't work for you. Time is a silent killer. Time is a silent killer into our fortress. If you would allow me, I'd, I'd like to answer very briefly to what just Barry uh, explained to us. The question I'd like to ask is what happened to all of those who couldn't get the help since 2010? You know, unfortunately, my guess is that these people right now are fighting a new system, and that's Veterans Affairs Canada, which is not better. I'm sorry. It's a delay-deny-and-buy system. So I'd like to remind everybody that these impacts are real in terms of what is lived uh, into our fortress. You know, I cannot say it uh, enough. PTSD is a reality, and what it means is when my husband does not receive the help that he needs, he will be like he will be likely to dissociate. Do you know what dissociation is? Well, I didn't. I didn't before I married my husband 15 years ago, and I had to live 10 years with him before I finally was able to make sense of his PTSD. So it's important to realize that, first of all, okay, the families are so, so, so often forgotten. We are not considered to be a part of a solution, but we are mostly to be considered to be a burden to a system, which we are not. We are the system best secret allies. And when a system is letting us down, no matter what the reason is, these people who are taking the decision must realize that PTSD or suffering, for that matter, does not work on a nine-to-five clock. No. Okay? I mean, it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So when people close their eyes on my husband, they're closing their eyes on many people. I will be a grandmother next April, and unfortunately... Okay, I saw the impact of the PTSD, and I'm not putting the responsibility fully on my husband. Okay, it's the PTSD and the fact that we were not supported, not educated. So the result right now is we have, and I'm, I'm honest, we have a highly dysfunctional family. This is the result of it. And this is how important it is to give those men and women the help that they require no matter what it takes. I read about you. Barry sent me a link to a Globe and Mail story, November 1st, uh, 2015. And it starts this way. On a fateful day 
in May 2014, as Veterans Affairs Minister Julian Fantino brushed past her dismissively, an exasperated Jennifer Mino screamed, I'm just a vet's spouse. You're forgetting us once more. We're nothing to you. What happened then? <laughs> nothing. <laughs> the only thing that happened, it's within me. And I said, if you don't want to listen to me, I'll talk to 38 million people. That's what I'm doing. Because politically speaking, nothing really happened. Of course, in terms of veterans' affairs, there was an announcement about the caregiver relief benefit, which is not good for us. doesn't work at all, not in its content, and not in its form. Basically, politically, maybe people are aware of the fact that as a vet spouse, I do exist. But you know what? In the field, into our fortress, nothing has changed so far. Nothing. You told nothing, me... Uh, nothing, nothing, when, when you and I talked the other day, you told me about something that happened, I think it was last Friday, to another military wife. Is this something we can talk about on the air? And I'm sorry, the only way I can ask you this is on the radio, because I can't talk to you off the radio because of the phone system. Is this something we can talk about or not? Let's say that I'll share the situation myself, if you are okay with this. Because I don't want those people to be uh, identified. No, no, but no, it no has, way. It happened on a on a base on a Canadian uh, military base, and there's a wife who desperately, okay, she's living with someone, a military, a serving member, who is not doing well, okay, but nobody knows. That he has PTSD. Well, there's no diagnosis, but he needs help, and. Okay. She's been trying to knock on doors, and of course, she's not the serving member. She's just a wife, so nobody's listening to her. Well, what happened is there was an, and I'll be honest, okay, what happened is there was an announcement about the fact that some uh, Syrian refugee might come, and this was a trigger for this military member. What happened is um, basically he lost it. He strangled her in front of the three children. She's pregnant with twins. She called the military police, and I became her panic button, and I had to remain with her on the phone until the military police come to knock to her door. Unfortunately, it was not the military police who knocked on the door, but her husband who was arrested by four military police, and nobody advised her that he was released. Do you have any idea that that call was the most painful call I had to deal with? And it's only because I'm known now uh, as an advocate, and these calls make no sense, but these are a reality also. And that family and had been looking for help. Absolutely. But if the member doesn't want to recognize it, she's alone. Okay, she knows she knows something is wrong, but they are so afraid. They they are not afraid of their loved one. They're afraid that their call will have an impact on their career. They don't know who to call. 
Yeah, and, and they live through that situation until they call the police. But when they do call the police, it's not to, to, to complain. It's for him to get help. They are that desperate, and it goes that ugly. You know, we've heard that. And, Barry, uh, you've been on the air with me when that's when, we, when we've talked about that. And, and uh, that um, people desperately ask for help. And it's and it just it just doesn't come, and then there are consequences that sometimes occur. And we've also heard uh, what the point that I guess that really is most key to what Jenny just said is that military members are afraid to say anything about having perhaps um, emotional challenges or reaction to having been in combat if they were in, in Afghanistan. Afraid to mention that they could be PTSD because that can be very definitely career threatening, mm-hmm. right, Barry? I mean, that's well, that's that's correct. It, it, this is sort of a it's, it's a touch. It's, it's, it's a difficult one because it's also a failure in leadership. If if your people, you know, in the military under the, the generals and down, are afraid to come forward, um, the fear is justified. Uh, to, to be dealing with something like PTSD, that is a scary thing. But to be scared that the system won't support you, that's a crisis in leadership. If you, you were, an, have and I, I have to take a break here, but if it were another industry, if it were private industry, private, uh, the private sector, and if you had a, 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 an illness, if you had, if you had a mental health illness, if, if you had PTSD and you're in the private sector, something's happened in your life that's brought on PTSD, and if you were ignored or fired or your career were threatened, because you came forward because you had a post-traumatic stress disorder issue, that any company, any employer who would treat you that way would be in in court immediately. Absolutely. In court immediately. Yeah. But but you're telling us, Jenny's telling us, that in the Canadian Armed Forces, it's don't bother us. And, well, and if you come forward, it could be a career buster. Let me take a break. We're going to come back with Jenny Mignot and with Barry Westholm. Don't go away. Jenny Mignot and uh, Barry Westholm. There's a lot of retweeting what I'm putting there about this segment that we're doing with them. Uh, We'll get back to them in a second, but I just want to tell you this. You prepare your car for winter. You make sure your furnace or fireplace are working to optimum. What do you do to prepare yourself? You know, for the aches, the pains, the joint stiffness? They're predictably going to be worse than in the summer months. When you start with Sierra's old joint formula 14, you'll not only notice a reduction in joint pain and stiffness, you'll no longer feel any joint pain, and in 14 days or less. My experience, and the experience of Roy Greenshow listeners across Canada, all natural, all mineral, incredibly well-researched, Sierra Hill Joint Formula 14 and Sierra Hill Joint Formula Active. Now just think about it. No more pain, much improved mobility. So call one eight seven seven roy 1020 any day, Monday to Friday, one eight seven seven. Roy 1020. Place your order with a Sierra Cell expert in Vancouver, not somebody reading from a script in a call center somewhere. You deal with a Canadian company in Canada at 1877-ROY1020. You'll also find Sierra Cell at leading natural products retailers coast to coast, as well as Rexall pharmacies in Ontario and London Drugs in the West. If you're not satisfied with Sierra Cell's results, you get your money back. So prepare yourself for winter risk-free with Sierra Cell. Just call one eight seven seven Roy ten twenty Monday to Friday. We have uh, five minutes left in our segment with um, Jenny Mino and Barry Westholm. The time goes by quickly. There's a lot of reaction 
on Twitter, and I'm seeing emails too, guys. So there's a there's a connection being made. What needs to be said, uh, Jenny? Uh, what 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 needs to be said from your perspective? You shared that ho- horrible, that terribly concerning story. The 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 member of the military needs help. Doesn't get the the help when he flips out, and and significant problems occur. That's when they show up to arrest him. Mm-hmm. And, and you know he had to be a, uh, dealt with for attacking his wife clearly, but the help wasn't there. So how, the question is, how often does something like that happen in the fortress, as you describe it, because no help was given? Too often, and I must say that it's not only it's not only reflected through uh, physical uh, violence. Okay, in my case, and there are many like me, I'm, I mean, am I lucky? No, it's not the word, but I was very blessed because I didn't have to go through this with my husband. But the problem is, it's the isolation, the final isolation. And my final message is, I'd like to thank all of those who are able to love us with our wounds, especially during those tough times. And if I could respectfully, if you really want to help people like us, I would advise just to ask us respectfully. Don't ask us as as we are victims. We are not victims. We love them. We want to be there for for them. But help us. Just ask us what you can do to, to provide the environment for us to enjoy those beautiful times during the holiday season. Does that make sense, Sister Green? Yeah, it does. Please call me Roy, Jenny. Thank you, Roy. Jenny's blog, Jenny Mignot's blog is ptsd-ssp.weebly.com. And Weebly is spelled W-E-E-B-L-Y. Barry, you live with um, post-traumatic stress disorder. You've given more than 30 years of your life to the service of this country in the military. I'm looking at uh, some stats here, just from that Global Mail story. Afghanistan's mounting toll, 158 died in the mission. 54 died by suicide after coming home. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, the thing is here, uh, Roy, did they have to? I don't know. Like I say, the JPSU has been so uh, poorly uh, managed up until this point, and I'd like to stress up until this point that it's left a path of carnage behind it. Who who knows what the damage is? You know, you, you hear Jenny's story right from the heart. Did that have to happen? Perhaps not. If we would have supported that unit properly, that might not have had to happen. That family might be a, a happy family going forward in, in, a, in a positive direction, but they're still trying to recover. I just got a call um, during this uh, interview from a guy named Greg who said he was with the JPSU. He said submitted a redress in 2010. The CDS at the time, Lawson, said the JPSU is all fine. There's no problem with anything. You, you were totally well supported. So, But now we know he's not. And on Friday, I received what they call a Canadian Forces General Order from the Chief of Defense Staff, Canadian Armed Forces, that basically says that they've investigated the JPSU and found pretty much all the shortcomings that have been previously mentioned on this show, and they're taking action to rectify them now. And to me, this is just some amazingly good news, and I think it's a reflection of the leadership of the uh, Canadian Forces now under General Vance. And uh, perhaps, of, of course, with the new government in place, that they're going to take a little more attention uh, and focus on the families the, of the um, injured and ill Canadian Forces members and veterans, uh, fix this unit up so that we don't make 
uh, more injured and ill people as they release the forces and become burdens on society in Veterans Affairs Canada. Um, it's, it's important to be proactive, not reactive, which is the way the JPSU was. And it's important that we, when we let people go from the Canadian forces, that they go as healthy people that can you know, provide society all those skills that they learn while in the military and keep the family unit intact. I think it's very important, and it was great to see that uh, Canforge, and I sent you a copy of it. Yes. And I hope they follow through with the same aggressive uh, nature that they did investigating right. that unit and coming up with recommendations. Barry, all we have to do is remember what it was put in place for, what its intent is, and just live up to the intent. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then Barry Westholm and other sergeants major can do their jobs, and then Jenny's and her husband's and other military families with PTSD, their homes don't necessarily have to be a fortress. Thank you both. We're Unfortunately, we're out of time this time, but we'll talk again. Jenny, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank and you. Barry, as always, thank you, sir, right, for everything that you've done. Right on. We'll come back. So stay with us.